<laughs> had to let that one play to the end. I think we all feel good after that press-up challenge. 49 in one minute. That's not bad going. See if we can improve that next week. Time now to get answers to all those massively important health questions. I know that you've been bothered with for years and years now. Jeremy Mellins is a GP based in Wickham and he's here to answer all our questions, all those really weird little things that bother you. Things that start arguments just before bedtime. Things that wake you up in the middle of the night. Things that you wish you'd told your daughter before she went to school and you forgot. Jeremy, a GP, is here to answer once and for all the truth about all those little health questions out there. And we want you to join in, by the way. It's not just about me and Nana and Toby, our producer, who's here to ask questions to kick us off. It's about all of us. Text me, 81333, starting your message with 3CR, if you want to join in the conversation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start because I've got something that's been bugging me. My husband, my dear husband, says you shouldn't eat dinner after 7 o'clock as you'll get fat. He doesn't get in from work till eight, so this makes it virtually impossible to eat dinner at all uh, in a healthy way. Uh, we sit there guiltily eating dinner every night at around 8.30, 9 o'clock, sometimes 10 o'clock. I think, hey, you know, the Spanish eat late. Why not just live a little and eat late? But he reminds me every night we should be eating way before seven o'clock and uh, we're all going to sit there and get fat. So Jeremy, Jeremy Wickham, uh, Jeremy from Wickham, I should say, is on the line. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful, sunny, stroke rainy day. Um, What do you say to my husband? Is he right? Should we really eat dinner all before seven o'clock? Well, it's an interesting one. This has been controversial for a long time. And if you'd (laughs) asked somebody three or four years ago, they'd probably have said to you, well, a calorie is just a calorie and it doesn't really matter. Um, And it was almost a settled thing. But actually... There's been quite a lot of research recently about this one, um, and research is now beginning to show that actually your body does process things differently at different times of day. So hormones like insulin, thyroid hormone, um, leptin are all processing differently or being secreted differently at different times. So you do get some change in the way you move from burning to storing food later on, but You also have to look at who's eating late and why you're eating late. So the later you eat, the the more that your lifestyle is probably pushing you in favour of making some fairly poor decisions about what you're eating. And indeed, there was a really interesting study that said the later you eat, the poorer your satiety. So the the more you, you need more to make you feel full. And the higher your total calorie intake over the day. It sounds like you're going to agree with my husband. Well... Ultimately, I think you can agree with your husband if you are really twiddling out the data, really looking for what does your person's metabolism do. But actually, the bigger factors are more important. Yes. The total calories over the day, the amount of exercise you do, and whether it's every day or not. You know, a cheeky meal at 11 o'clock when you're on holiday, unless it's every day of the holiday, probably isn't going to make much of a difference. But if you're taking 2,000 calories late at night every day, that is going to have a long-term ah, So it's all in moderation. That yeah, wonderful like phrase. So many of these things, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's move on to the next question, Nana. Well, I see Jeremy. Hello. Hi, Nana. Well, I'm pleased about what you said there because I eat usually about 10 o'clock, you see. But I'm a fitness freak, frankly. <laughs> so, so I'm not fat. <laughs> Excellent. So this is my question. 
Is it true that adults need between seven to eight hours sleep? Any more or any less, and you're more susceptible to stroke. That's what I heard. Yeah, and you heard right on this. Oh. So there's, actually, I can do, do a little plug for my alma mater. So there was a really powerful bit of research that came out of the University of Warwick, ended up in um, the, uh, the, the European Heart Journal, which is very, very influential, that said um, that sleep duration pretty much is one of the biggest markers, biggest predictive factors of lifestyle after you eliminate the big ones like smoking and uh, pre-existing heart disease um, for risk. Now, there's no evidence at all that between six and eight hours is a problem, but under six, it really does start to influence your risk of stroke. Um, I want to be so greedier. I want another question. There. Why? Sorry, say that again? I want another question. Why? Why? Well, there's, there's a number of theories to that. Interestingly, the, the converse is true as well. So if you, if you sleep for too long, if you sleep for nine hours or more, we worry that there's an underlying risk that there are things going on. And sleep, if you need more than nine hours sleep, by the way, just a, um, regularly and you still feel tired, you need to go to the doctor. But if you're getting less, your body does all its repair jobs at night. Um, your body looks after itself, lots of things in the brain, lots of processes that don't happen while you're awake, lots of repair processes, your immune system and your cardiovascular system happen during the daytime um, at a much slower rate than they do when you're asleep and you just haven't got time for repairs. It's a little bit like the London Underground really struggles when you have <laughs> night tubes and it breaks down. What are they going to do with the night tube? Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I guess there's a difference between needing and wanting sleep as well. I certainly want more even if I don't need it. Toby, what's your question? Okay, so finally, from the sublime to the ridiculous, Jeremy, um, I have a dog. I let the dog lick my Ew. face on a regular basis. Oh, Is that deeply unhygienic? Or is it actually healthier for me and will improve my immune system? Okay, well, it's actually a great question. I guess the best way I could sum it out is what you sum it up is you're playing a game of you know, immunology roulette here. Or Ian, immunology what? Russian roulette. Right. Um, because ultimately, it, if you haven't caught anything, if you don't get anything nasty, then yes, your dog is showing your immune system bugs that you wouldn't otherwise come into contact with. It learns them as threats, then you're more immune. But, and it's the very big and important but, there's stuff in dogs' mouths from everything they touch, be it the back of another dog, be it something <laughs> on the floor in the park. He said that very politely. And so, and, and it, it, all these bacteria, parasites, even, even worms can come from being licked by a dog. Ooh. Yummy. So, um, Are you going to so still let your dog kiss you, you on the lips, Toby? It, yes, it'll toughen up your immune system. But if you don't get away with it, you're really not getting away with it. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, do you, do you, in hindsight, then, do you think that the, the risks outweigh the benefits? Yes, yes, okay. I do. All right. Well, I'll, I'll make sure that we... Uh, that's a new rule in our house, then. Dogs don't lick faces. Ugh. Another question solved. If you have a question for our expert doctor, you can get in touch with us and ask all those things that start family feuds or you're wondering about and keep you awake at night. Text us on 81333, starting your message with 3CR, and we'll put your question to our doctor next week. Um, try and get you an answer. Why not? Settle that family feud once and for all.